This is part three of our series for parents, and it's how do I teach my kids healthy sexuality with Dr. Finlayson Fife. We're so glad that you're here because you're choosing to thrive in your relationship. Guys, welcome to The Betrayed, The Addicted, and The Expert, a Beyond Enough production. Hi, I'm Ashlyn, the once betrayed. I'm Kobe, the once addicted. And I'm Brandon, the expert. And he's definitely an expert. You've been working to help couples with their extreme challenges for like 15 years, right? Yeah, a long time. And I'm glad that I'm here with you guys sharing your vulnerable story. And I hope that it helps our listeners as well. Absolutely. And if you need some help getting started, we have a free resource over at beyond-enough.com forward slash step one. And that's one, the number. It provides the first key steps to healing your relationship, regardless of how tough things are right now. All right, guys, let's roll. Okay, we're going to jump into that. and uh, But before we do, we're just going to go ahead and hop over to iTunes, or excuse me, to uh, yeah, iTunes and, and read a review. If you haven't yet, hop over there, rate us, review us. We'd love to hear what you've got to say. Um, this is called So Helpful. It says, I just listened to your podcast on self-betrayal. Wow, did it speak to me. I discovered that I was betraying myself by not speaking up in my relationship with my partner. As I've, as I've practiced speaking up in my relationship, I found that my partner respects me more and hears me better. This will absolutely strengthen our relationship as we navigate through recovery and after infidelity. Thank you for talking about the hard stuff. You're very welcome. We wish you honestly the best finding your voice, no matter if you are, uh, if you have betrayed or if you've been betrayed, that is so challenging in what are already super choppy, uncomfortable waters. So really happy that, uh, that you found that. Hold on to it. Yep. All right. We have our special guest, uh, Dr. Jennifer Finlayson-Fife, who's been with us before talking about healthy sexuality. And we loved that episode so much. We're saying come back and now help us with teaching our kids the same thing. So um, she's I mean, you've got to go follow her on Instagram right now. If you don't already, there's your first step. Okay. She shares uh, some really great stuff online, but she also has some great courses that Kobe and I have also taken. Wonderful courses. Um, she's an LDS relationship and sexuality coach, as well as a licensed clinical professional counselor in the state of Illinois and has a PhD in counseling psychology. In addition, in addition to her dissertation research on LDS women's sexuality and relationship to desire, She's taught college-level human sexuality courses. Um, she helps couples. She helps individuals. And I'm just going to plug, I have a lot of gals that I mentor who are not of the same faith I grew up in, and they have gotten your courses and love them as well. So it's not just like mm -hmm. an LDS thing we're talking about yeah. here today. So yeah. We're I happy. Think, I think what that's really representative of is, um, I think what perhaps um, very um, devout high high standard religion in mm -hmm. general is kind of what we're speaking to or mm -hmm. what can be spoken to in, in in that arena is that is that kind of a fair yes, way to say I, it? I think that's true i think it's you know people who hold a kind of higher expectation in the sense around sexuality can often bring with it a lot of baggage around sexuality and especially for women i mean what i would say is for men and women to be fair but i think women can kind of learn that the good woman has suppressed her sexuality. And so uh, men have their sort of sh fair share of equally unhealthy attitudes around it too. So I don't want to just say that it's about women, but I think that, uh, yeah. So I would say if you grow up in a faith tradition that has um, a more conservative or, cons or constricted view of sexuality, it can be easy to internalize that in unhealthy ways. And so, yeah, my courses are really about helping people work through those meanings while still clearly developing themselves into people that can be capable of an intimate, open-hearted, loving relationship that includes their sexuality and is bringing their best to it. And kind of how do you kind of look at some of those traditions or ideas that are interfering with our ultimate aim of creating really open-hearted, loving relationships? It's awesome. Mm -hmm. It's a big yeah. deal. Yeah, it is. So this specific podcast is for any of us who have kids uh, or who are going to have kids. Uh, my mom's with us today. She's upstairs and she said, I want to listen because I'm a grandma and I want to still, I still want to <laughs> be able to help. Um, so we, ha we have you here because we want to be able, especially our audience who maybe they don't have our same story, but there's some sort of 
narrative that's there around sexuality, maybe around pornography, uh, masturbation, things mm-hmm. like that, where it can we project maybe onto our kids when we're either teaching or not teaching about healthy sexuality. And so we wanted the professional, the expert to come on and really help guide us so that we can yeah. do our best in, in teaching our kids. Yeah. So great. So I think I, a couple of, couple of first questions, right. That are front and center for me because I'm putting myself in my, in, in the shoes, well, my young shoes, right. Um, as a kid. And I know for sure that curiosity w- like was fuel on, 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 um, no, let's see. How do I say it? I was a curious kid. And anytime I said, don't do that, it yeah. all of a sudden just inflamed yeah, my curiosity sure. in a pronounced way. I mean, the very first time, um, my dad caught me with looking at a playboy yeah. magazine. Uh, I was in, I think Butte, Montana, uh, in, in like the middle of the night we had, we were driving, you know, through, driving 10 hours and everybody got out to go to the bathroom and I, on my way out, saw the, the Playboy and I'd already seen it before. It's like, oh yeah, I know what this is about. And I'm flipping through it. Like it was like a car magazine or a comic book. And I'm like 10 feet from the, from the store clerk. And my dad legit walks up behind me, grabs it out of my hand, puts it back, says, never do that again. Uh-huh. And that was it. And, and that, <laughs> that was, was all the- <laughs> That was the porn talk. Yeah, that yeah. was that. Was, never do that again. So I was like, of course. Did you have a sex talk or talk? No, no. Okay, no, no. I had one no, talk. No. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, so the 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 point being is, when I was told don't, then my curiosity just really accelerated yeah. in a pronounced way. So, um, first off, Jennifer, what do parents need to know and understand? prior to having the conversation with their kids, not just about porn, but about sexuality, I guess, in general, mm-hmm. because the, kind of the feeling is, is do I need to be an expert in order to talk to my kids about mm-hmm. this? Because I probably feel pretty yeah. inadequate. Sure. And, and I mean, here's the, well, there's good news and bad news. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> the good news is there's a lot you can do to shape how your children are in relationship to sexuality. The bad news is it is primarily about your own development around that topic because what you say is not as important as how you actually live and think about it because they will map you. They will see how you're reacting to the commercial or to the magazine or to, they're looking for the messages that are underneath any overt messaging. And that's not, that for sometimes for people is discouraging because they are like, wow, I am kind of messed up about sex myself. So how am I going to be helpful? I do a how to talk to your kids about sex course. And I am helping people really think about their own relationship to sexuality as part and parcel to being a guide to their kids. Um, But, and you know, I might argue that kids, uh, parents in the fifties had an easier job because Sexuality was not as much in our face. The whole culture was supporting a more of a sexuality that was socially constricted to marriage. Now, I understand that infidelity happened back then, and there was always, people are always capable of betraying, okay? Uh, But on the other hand, we are in such a sex-saturated society that you really do have to be a more overt guide in how you navigate those meanings and what meanings you're communicating. And are they meanings that are helpful? Because as you're saying, Kobe, that your dad taking that out of your hand and saying, never do that again, which by the way, is a better response than many parents (laughs) actually. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, because some people will shame the child for the fact that their curiosity was in fact somehow defective in them as opposed to just normal, right? Okay. Right. Um, And so... Uh, but uh, I just kind of lost my thought there, but, but so, you know, so what we, so we have to kind of figure out how to navigate that in a way that helps our children not become obsessed because you're, as you're saying, your dad actually drove more curiosity. Indeed. And this is what a lot of us do as parents is in our kind of fantasy that we can keep our kids from knowing about this reality of sex. We actually are drawing their attention to it. 
or actually telling them it's like whenever you say don't look in there I mean, what's the first thing you want to do is like look whatever it is you want to look i mean yeah it's like don't press this button it's like well why not you know <laughs> i gotta test it that's yeah. super interesting because what i'm hearing you say is is that parents have to be self-aware enough to know where do my insecurities where do my uh, inadequacies where does my ignorance lie but also non-verbally yeah. or just from like what kind of energy do I really carry yes. surrounding sexuality surrounding porn right well and all I this, like this, this whole arena I like that yes. you brought up like okay we're watching tv that's a common um question I get from the betrayed is yes. I'm very triggered when we're watching a movie or a yes. you know, commercial or something like that. And so, yes, that energy and their, their triggers, their body is saying, Hey, yeah. this is not okay with me. And so that's yeah. something for sure to be aware of. Right. And so, and so what am I, yes, it is. And so what am I reacting to? And am I reacting in a way that is kind of my kids are picking up on that you know mm -hmm. there's this sort of transgenerational trauma that is yes. a factor like if somebody it quite literally had a mother who was raped that they become themselves deeply anxious about sexuality because they've kind of taken on they've mapped the mother's anxiety and fear they may or may not have known explicitly about what happened and even if they don't know explicitly what happened they will oftentimes internalize the same meaning frame Mm -hmm. around sexuality so that scares people a bit because they're like what i can't keep track of every meaning that i have in my head but let me kind of name a few of the meanings that i think many of us have and we hand down unwittingly and one is that sexuality uh, and it's a little bit of the issue i have with some people's approach to compulsive sexuality is that a lot of times people have the idea that sex is the problem mm. right so that sexuality is the problem Gotcha. The body is the problem. Our eroticism, that is to say, our desire for sexuality or our, our ability to have sexual ideas is the agent that is corrosive. And that's a very typical idea. And if that were true, then you do want to be throwing yourself in front of the magazine rack to keep your kids from seeing it. Then you do want to just be turning off the TV as quickly as possible because if just the fact of the sexuality is what is undermining then you want them to have no exposure to it. Um, Whoa, course, hold on, Jennifer, Jennifer, that, yeah. that was really profound what you just said. Okay. That last yeah. sentence. Mm -hmm. So if you think that that is the issue, then... No exposure, right? I mean, that then, would be the... Then the, the, the solution the, is no exposure. And then you'd have to really struggle with the idea of how do you bring it into marriage then and have it be a good thing. Right. Because if sex switch. and eroticism, <laughs> exactly, which a lot of good women and men are like, wait, how does this now become okay? I really don't get it. Okay. So they're trying to, to have sex and make this a beautiful part of marriage when it's been their whole lives, this terrifying, corrosive reality. Yes. And it's just a that contradiction was... that doesn't fit for people. And so what I think is, me. yes. And so we've got the wrong meaning frame in place, many of us. And so we okay. really don't know how to deal with it because how do you make this terrible thing be a good part of life? Totally. So I think it's not the sexuality that's the issue. Sexuality, in my view, is a part of being a human being. And it's an intrinsic part of being a human being. Babies are, meaning fetuses in utero will touch their own genitals. Now, those are just evil babies, of course, not good babies. <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> right. Uh, it starts early. <laughs> exactly. Uh. So, you know, so like clearly we are sensually driven creatures and we discover our sexuality, most of us on some level, even our sensuality as very small children. We, we go for what feels good. We touching our own skin, you know, we, so, and we're curious. There's nothing wrong with our inherent sexual nature. I mean, that's just, it's like, it's just as neutral as our ability to speak, our ability to love, our ability to, um, you know, to create meaning, okay? The issue is not sexuality. It's how we relate to others vis-a-vis -vis our sexuality. Hmm. That's the issue. Do we relate to ourselves and others in a way with our sexuality that creates strength, that creates goodness, that creates relational security? Or do we relate in a way that undermines our integrity, undermines our trustworthiness, undermines the people that we love? That's the issue. 
And if you can get really clear about that, then the fact of seeing somebody in a bikini isn't inherently a problem. It's how are you relating to that person in the bikini? Mm. How are you relating uh, you know, to the sexuality of people around you and your own sexuality? Is it based in respect? Or is it in a form of use of one another or intense wow. repression? You know, it's, it's, I'm just totally time trap. I'm not time. Mm -hmm. Like I'm not totally absent from this conversation, but be, yeah. it, while you're sharing that, I'm thinking about the, the, the playboys that I found at seven years old and so forth. And whenever the wind blew them in or, you know, we stopped in Butte or, yeah. <laughs> you know, whatever yeah. it is. Right. Um, I know. Right. <laughs> but um, I know poor Butte. Yeah, for sure. But then, but then I, I do totally remember that, that message from, from my dad, right. Never do that again. As much as that was that intensified my curiosity, what's really, really interesting is that single dimension message. Mm -hmm. um, led me down this path that you just talked about, which is then once I, once I recognized the female form, then it was like, then it was about use for me personally. Mm, yeah. And I didn't understand that, but to, to illustrate that point, I remember being about nine and down the street around the corner, there was a couple who were into bodybuilding and on their front porch, they were going to recycle these magazines. And they were just like, you know, flex magazines, just, just bodybuilding magazines, right? Mm -hmm. My friend and I saw those. And we're like, oh my gosh. And I remember sitting across this image just burning in my head, sitting across the street from their house, figuring out, okay, how are we going to go get the, that box of, of, uh, of, of bodybuilding magazines so that we can see the women in bikinis? Mm -hmm. So it was about use for me because there was a single, there was this single, uh, message to me about what it was. And it's just, mm -hmm. don't do that again. So all of a sudden, then my mind became hyper-focused on this single dimension that must be yep. bad, but how can it be so bad when it- It's so compelling, right? Good. Yes. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. And when it's, so, when it's so forbidden, it, it drives the intensity of its, of your curiosity, right? As you were talking about, Kobe. So it's like, you know, in a lot of ways, the way I related to my kids around it was to be very matter of fact about it. You know, like when the kids would notice magazines in the checkout sign, instead of like, you know, don't. <laughs> my, my approach was much more like, yes, you know, I mean, people a lot of times will use their sexuality to try and sell things. So a lot of magazines will do this as a way to get people's attention. So just kind of more matter of fact and educating around, there's lots of ways to relate to your sexuality. It, we all are drawn to it. There's nothing weird about that. But sometimes people use that fact to try and sell things. So it's like, we, I think my kids were learning a message that this is something we can think about, we can talk about, mom and dad don't freak out about it. Mm -hmm. um, like, there's nothing, they don't feel anxious about the fact of the body. And I think, honestly, they sort of mapped us as being comfortable enough with sexuality and also appropriate about it, you know? So yeah. it's like, it gotcha. becomes so normal part of life that, that while I'm sure they're drawn to, my boys would be drawn to beautiful women or images of beautiful women. I'm sure they are because that, that's just a normal part of human sexuality. There's nothing obsessive about it for them because it's not gotten wow. laden with this idea of the forbidden and the wrong. Yeah. It's just like a part of being human. And, and in fact, some of, you know, my teenage son, was sort of musing at like how his friends seemed so kind of obsessed with it. Some of his LDS friends, like kind of obsessed with <laughs> the topic of, se of sexuality in a way that sort of surprised him. Like, why are they so... He didn't know how good he had it with them, <laughs> with parents who are open. <laughs> or just seemed so more normal. And they seemed a little bit like kind of off the rails about it a bit, yeah. as opposed to just like, it's a good part. It's a good, you know, it's just a normal part of being human being. Okay. So what I'm hearing in you saying that, and this is a question I asked my daughter who's 10 um, and we talk about things pretty open. Um, I said, how did we create a safe place for you that you, she does come and ask very mm -hmm. good. You no, know, like questions. Straightforward questions. Yes. Yeah. That totally. I'm like, wow, I don't know if I was even thinking about that at 10, but she's mm -hmm. asking. And that's what feels good is that she trusts us enough to say, I'm curious about this thing. And um, so she said, the fact that we will answer, right? Yes, and that we're exactly. not like, why are you doing that? 
Um, right. She also said that we have little tiny conversations instead of one big yes. conversation. So yes. how do you teach that? Um, I know this course that you have is for parents um, to yeah. teach this, but how do you recommend? Yeah. So in the course, I'm really kind of helping parents to think about sort of what is a, at each developmental stage, what are sort of the, the, the ways you would relate to the question and the subject of sexuality in a way that's appropriate mm -hmm. to the child's development and healthy, like just being celebrating of the body, for example, when they're in that sort of very early pre-verbal stage, never shaming of their own exploration or curiosity, never shaming of the questions that they might ask, right? And, you know, at a certain point, you're setting more boundaries and, you know, more boundaries around them being clothed and dressed and things like that. So they're learning social propriety around their sexuality, but it's never in a frame of shame or disrespect for it. So that is to say they're getting the idea from you that mom or dad can handle this topic. Mm. Not only can they handle it, that they think that this, that my sexuality is worthy of respect and is good. Like protecting your child's privacy is a way of sort of respecting the integrity of them and their bodies. So there's a lot of ways to give the message that you are a resource. And just like you said, Ashlyn, like the, the ease with which you'll answer a question, especially in that pre-adolescent phase, like Mm -hmm. eight to 11 are sort of the golden years of sort of giving your values to your child because they're now becoming more self-aware. They're more curious. They're still very trusting of you as parents, meaning they're, they even still care what you think in <laughs> adolescence, but they won't show you as much that they care what you think. Write that and, down. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's good to hear. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But in that eight to 11 stage, they're, they're like, it's a good time to sort of offer what you're both the information about reproduction and sexuality, but also your values around it and kind of how you think about it. And that's a time when they're going to be quite receptive. In the adolescent phase, they're sorting out more what they think about it all, and they're mm -hmm. going to be not relating to you in such a open-hearted way because it's socially appropriate or developmentally appropriate for them to be kind of distancing from mm -hmm. you. But helping them consider their own values during that stage and really be true to themselves is more your job. Um, so I think I lost track of your question though, Ashlyn. Was no, your yeah. education, yeah. education is power yeah. and you're saying development, Yeah, doing it at different stages, having that space open. Exactly. And seeing you adjust as needed yeah. to them. I think so that also if they think you're not you're a guide, but you get it and you're kind of stepping back when you need to. It also builds trust so they can come to you with the things they need to talk to you about. That's a big deal. That's a really big deal. Ash, what are you I, thinking? I was just curious because it's always helpful for me to hear kind of like, here's a bad example. Here's a good example. Yeah. So that, because I know I'm thinking like, you know, a parent who sees their their young child with their hands down their pants and mm -hmm. get your hands out of your pants and that's exactly. like a very common response but right. it also sends this message of like well, what am i doing wrong you know um, right so what how do you deal so exactly like, so yeah so the bad example would be at any point to shame to be like get your hands out of your pants that's dirty that's bad mm -hmm. you know that's disgusting anything like that is just going to supercharge the behavior and whenever you shame something, you kind of drive it underground and it gets darker. It gets harder to control it. So then either it kind of takes on a life of its own or it gets repressed. But repression is not our goal either. For some people who grow up in conservative faiths, we think repression is the goal <laughs> because we sort of think it's better. You know, the good, the good person is the person who's totally suppressed her sexuality, but she's no more capable of an intimate marriage than the person who's really indulgent with their sexuality. So repression is not the goal. A good response might be, first of all, you want to sort of think about how old is the child that they're doing this. If they're three and it's sort of a self-soothing behavior, it has a very different meaning than if they're nine, okay? And and so, I mean, I'm trying to think how much to kind of get into here, but if they're very young, it's probably more of a self-soothing thing and just sort of redirecting uh, okay. into some other form of comfort, you know? Is there some other way that they can self-soothe? A, a typical thing to say to kids that are in that sort of four, five, six age, age ranges is sort of redirecting through a sense of social propriety, right? Okay. So, you know, it's not polite, especially five, six, when they are sort of more socially self-aware. It's, it's not polite. It's not polite to have your hands in your pants 
when you're around other people, right? So that they're learning a little bit more of this distinction between the private and public. Mm -hmm. Right. And that's not a shaming message. That's a message of private and public and propriety. Um, and so it's a good way of just kind of making a distinction around kind of how you handle your sexuality in a public space about respect and self-respect. Um, if a child's a lot older and they are sort of self-touching in public, there's just a couple things to think about. Like, is there some major social anxiety thing going on? Is there some sort of difficulty they have in reading and understanding social cues? Because that would be unusual to be that old. And or is there some kind of sex, sexual exploitation that's happening? Right. Okay. So if a child seems unusually sexually preoccupied, and seems to know things outside of what you would expect them to know or be obsessed in a way that seems out of line with kind of what would be kind of curious as a child, then it's just a question to have in mind, like where are they, why are they, why are they having so much sexual focus? Mm -hmm. So, and I talk about this more in the course uh, where I kind of help you think through more, is this just normal sexual development or is this, is something off um, for my child? That's really great. Yeah. I mean, to, to, de, to, to talk about propriety mm-hmm. versus repression, mm-hmm. I think is a really important, mm-hmm. um, uh, just a really important yeah. avenue and distinction to, to have front of mind mm-hmm. um, with, with kids, uh, especially, mm-hmm. especially at that age. Um, and one other thing I would add to that, Kobe, is that there's, there's nothing wrong with pleasure. I mean, I think we're a lot of us are afraid of pleasure. We think that pleasure is inherently going to, you know, be that slippery slope into mm-hmm. debauchery. And it, the, 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 pro, the issue is not pleasure that doesn't betray our integrity. And by integrity, I mean, doesn't undermine our well-being or the well-being of another person. Okay. So if you live in a, a pleasure-deprived reality, you can't have joy. You can't have happiness, Right. And some people think, oh, any pleasure with food is inherently bad. Well, that's not healthy either. You know, so you want to be able to have pleasure in your life because it blesses your life, but in a way that doesn't undermine your integrity, your well-being, or anyone else's. So you don't want to shame your child's interest in pleasure. Mm-hmm. You want to help them direct pleasure in a way that does not undermine their ultimate well-being. And we can think about this in any realm how much time they spend on screens, how much time they spend, you know, how much they eat junk food, you know, how much time they spend in front of the television. is It's not that all those things are inherently bad. It's that you don't want them out of proportion to or in replacement to buckling down and do, doing things that are hard mm-hmm. sometimes and that are creating something solid and good in their lives. So that idea of public and private, it's like there's nothing, of course, that they find it pleasurable to touch themselves there. Okay. But it's not really appropriate way to handle their anxiety when they're seven years old, or it's not appropriate to the situation that we're in public and grandma's visiting and it's time to get your hands out of your pants, you know, when you're four years old or something. (laughs) So yeah, right. I I appreciate you bringing that up. Um, That definitely was, I mean, you heard us in the beginning, we really didn't have these kinds of talks with our parents and my mom's so cute. She said, well, I didn't either. Like she did the best she could. Right. That's right. And now we're trying to do the best that we know and to pass that on. So um, consent, pleasure, um, these are the things we are trying to teach our kids, not fear and shame-based sexuality. And I owe a lot of that to you. So thank you for for really um, helping us see that there's not just the sex talk. There's so much more. Um, It's teaching about a healthy relationship. Yeah, I would say that's probably one of the there are a few really pronounced um, takeaways that I would say that, that, that came to our family because Ashlyn and I um, took your courses online. And, mm-hmm. and one of which is to experience what it's like to talk about sensuality, mm-hmm. sexuality, uh, pleasure, and, and all of the things that are in that arena, like to hear that and to be educated on that. And, yeah. and once we felt more comfortable, like yeah. hearing the messages and demystifying those things and putting them into yeah. the context of what our experience was, it was so much easier yeah. to talk to our kids. Right. You feel more confident in what you're doing. Mm-hmm. And, and, and competent. Getting some, yes, exactly. Exactly. The competency gives you a kind of grounded confidence that 
we kind of know what the message is we want to give. And mm -hmm. now we can think about this situation. How do we relate this idea or this principle to what's happening right now? So it really does give you a meaningful roadmap. Not only do you work out some of your own meaning collisions inside of you, but then you are clear to know how to offer something clear to right. your children. Okay. So you yeah. touched on, Jennifer, you touched on pleasure and you touched on how our bodies are in our biology, we're wired to experience pleasure. And that's not the same as debauchery. That's not the that's same right. as, as overindulgence into an unhealthy place. Mm -hmm. But I think, I think what's, what's really a key thing to, to put on the table here is the discussion on masturbation with our kids. Mm -hmm. and, and what does it look like? And I want to be really clear when, we, when I say this, uh, like Dr. Finlayson, Fife, Ashland, and I are not advocating one position or another. I want to be really clear when I say that, but I think the, the, the purpose of this is to say this really is the big awkward elephant in the room um, mm -hmm. that's even more awkward than mm -hmm. yeah, I talking sure about porn, about sensuality, and so forth. Um, mm -hmm. So how do, we, how do we begin having these discussions in a very healthy way just to mm – -hmm. and, and to to respect what you said earlier, yeah. it's like, you don't want to have her shame, but what's the appropriate yeah. age? What's the appropriate context to be able to, to talk to your kids about it? Because I guarantee you, my dimes to everybody else's dollars, they're learning about it on the playground at school yeah, or on the hallways. Or just on their own. I mean, I would, right. my, my oldest is, yeah. in, is in seventh grade this year. And I remember in seventh grade, listening to kids talking explicitly about how they were having sex with their boyfriend or girlfriend. Yeah. No, right. Exactly. And, and so easy, as you're saying, Ashton, just go Google something, you know, you just yeah. go, you hear something as a seven-year-old and you're like, what does sexy lady mean? So you just go Google that and see, yeah. you know, and see, <laughs> you all, might get way things. more than you were bargaining for. <laughs> yes. yeah. So, yeah. So I think, um, okay, let me get back to the question. So, yes. So I think, right. Masturbation and kind of how do you think about it with kids? It's a big question and it's a very loaded question. And um, I think what do that- What you mean, there's not like a, a canned answer for this? It's like two sentences? <laughs> Come on, give us the I silver wish, bullet. I here. wish, I wish, yeah, I know, exactly. So the, the, exactly, the core issue is kind of how do you handle this integration of one's sexuality into one's psyche and create somebody who's capable of intimate- sexual love that that's what i think of it's like how do you actually help your child achieve the goal that i think most of us have for our children which is that they're capable of an intimate sexual friendship yes right okay that they can love and be loved through their sexuality with their spouse down the road and so in order to achieve that you need to be able to accept the fact of your sexuality and your embodiment without too much anxiety but also having some respect for the power of that language and that reality of your sexuality, right? So it's a, it's a gift and it's also a powerful gift. I mean, mm -hmm. the way we, if you, you know, want to harm someone, you harm them through their sexuality. That it's a, it's a very intimate part of our psyches, right? And mm -hmm. so it is a powerful language. It's a very, uh, it, it's a wonderful totally gift, but it, it matters how you are in relationship to it. So you want to give your kids the message that this is a power. This is a beautiful gift. It has the ability to be a wonderful gift in your life, uh, but it's also a powerful way of being in relationship to yourself and others. And so how you use it and how you relate to it matters. And so you're going to feel sexual feelings that nothing is going wrong. I mean, what I get concerned is when we shame the fact of sexual feelings, because mm -hmm. If my kids weren't having sexual feelings, I'd be concerned, meaning because something's gone awry. You want, they're going to, as they're moving into psychological and developmental adulthood, are going to be having sexual feelings. The issue is not the existence of feelings or attraction or desire. It's how they are in relationship to those feelings and that the feelings don't run the show, that they run the show and they integrate those feelings in a way that creates goodness in their life. Okay, so so let's um, with with that context, mm -hmm. okay, which is I think really really insightful, because mm -hmm. um, my mind just kind of going a million miles an hour right now. <laughs> but um, the the parents who are like, okay, right, um, I don't want to be that parent who gets the call while kids mm -hmm. at camp from this from the camp council that says, 
your son's just a little too out of sorts at camp with with what's happening in bed at night when it's when it's like lights out right mm. um or the parent themselves um discover that their child is 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 masturbating and all of a sudden the parent just feels this huge wave of shame mm. because it's like oh mm-hmm. i'm the parent who has that child who can't mm-hmm. stop masturbating or mm-hmm. has masturbated and i don't want them to be the uh, the, the kid with with who's just unruly in well, the, in their and, in their world and, with masturbation. Our audience may have the you know the link of masturbation is bad. It's porn addiction. Yes. Yes. That's right. And, and yeah. So, so a lot of people. That. That's right, Ashley. A lot of people put those two together. Or if my child's touching himself, he's going to be molesting yes. children down the road. So it's a lot of people think this is the pathway into much darker realities. And I don't think there's any research to support that. Now, there is a a pathway between a lot of shaming of sexuality and darker pathways. Mm -hmm. But the fact of your own sexual self-awareness does not lead necessarily into um, compulsive masturbation or compulsive pornography use or something like that. So if we think about it in terms of food for a minute, it kind of helps to kind of take the supercharged issue of pleasure (laughs) and sex and put it aside for just a second. But if you think about it, like if your child likes donuts, I mean, you wouldn't be like, you know, like they are going to be an obese compulsive eater, you know, that you just wouldn't necessarily go there. And if you're a good parent, you'd like, yeah, donuts are good, but you need to have a healthy meal. And, you know, you have donuts only once in a while. I mean, you're not shaming the fact of pleasure. You're helping them stay anchored into what is the path that's going to create a healthy body and a healthy mind and allow them to have a relationship to pleasure that doesn't undermine their overall well-being. So are you, wait, I just want to stop you because I just want to sure. make sure that we're clear on this. Yeah. Are you saying that being curious about their own um, their own sexuality, being curious about their own sexual body, being curious about pleasure that comes from their own genitals, that isn't going to be an on-ramp to debauchery, to this place that's dark and... No, and definitely worrisome. not. Definitely not the on-ramp. I mean, first okay. of all, how do you actually get away from that curiosity? Do you know what I mean? Like, I was... I'm going to, my poor kids, but I just remember my daughter, <laughs> when I would be changing her diaper, she'd sometimes like grab a wipe and then she'd spend, you know, extra time there helping me out, you know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, that's so cute. Like, that just makes her normal. That just makes yeah. her a normal kid because they're aware of their own capacity for pleasure. And so if you're going to make that natural curiosity pathological, you're really, you're really kind of you're, you're telling your child from the beginning, there's something wrong with them mm. for being curious about like, of course, we're going to be curious about our body's capacity for pleasure, because that's what it is. You know, you're, a child is exploring their own body first and foremost, right up front. Yeah. So there's God gave us these things. There's nothing to be ashamed of in the fact of pleasure. The reality is, are we in relationship to it in a way that undermines us? You know, if you have a child that's masturbating all the time and they're not doing their schoolwork and they're never going out and seeing friends, my concern wouldn't be the fact of masturbation. My friend would be the my the my concern isolation. would be the fact, the isolation, and that they're finding a coping strategy, yeah. and there's something that painful going on that this is what they're turning to that's in this a, compulsive way. Makes sense. Just as I would be if a child was eating compulsively and not kind of dealing with some aspect of their life, I would be concerned with why are they choosing this pleasure to cope with what, what's going on that they need help with to find more adaptive ways to deal with that difficulty. Okay. Okay. I hope that our listeners are hearing um, kind of your message overall is to step back and ask yourself questions (laughs) rather than go to assumptions or shame. Yes. And I like that, that pause that, okay, I got to Self-reflect here. I think yes. self-reflection is a superpower. Yes, and that's right. That's exactly what you're promoting here. That's right. And it's, exactly. it's so much, I mean, to, in defense of parents, I think it's so much easier to do that, I think, when it's something like oh, food or so much easier. But, you know, it's easier to think about when it's food or video games or social media because porn and sexuality can be so supercharged for some yeah. of us that it feels like, you know, a lot of parents I've worked with who are just terrified that this is their child's pathway into 
you know, being a child molester and they've genuinely had that fear. And so it just, it, it, because it's supercharged, it can be harder to take that step back. But I really encourage parents to do it because if they can think about what is driving my child to cope in this way, do I play a role in having them have a lot of anxiety around this issue of sexuality? And is there some way that we can diffuse this? Because sometimes parents have a child who's masturbating or started looking at porn because they're curious, okay, or because they're having more social anxiety. And then they get put into a, a treatment program at age 13 that is pathologizing pretty normative sexual development, right? And I'm not saying that the porn is good or that there's nothing that needs to be thought about or talked about with the child, but they turning that child into um, a, label. a deviant and a label actually solidifies this identity. And so the parents unwittingly are actually reinforcing the problem rather than stepping back and helping the child redirect in a more healthy way and not supercharging the you know, just the curiosity and the kind of behavior yeah. um, experimentation. Okay. So you brought up a really good topic because um, I do get that question from people. My son, my daughter, they're doing this thing. What, what treatment should you, should we recommend? And I'm thinking, I don't know that it's the same thing that's going on and went on with my husband for yeah. decades. Right. Um, so it's not, when people do that, they're doing, they're loving their children, right? They're doing the best uh, yeah. they can. What That's do right. you recommend if you find that your child is coping in this unhealthy way with masturbation? Yeah, there, there may be some really good models out there. I don't honestly know. I mean, some of the ones I've heard about, I don't think some of my clients that have come to me uh, have put their child in a program that is actually making their child's self-esteem go down, mm. their sense of being defective go down. This whole model of like... Um, what's the words like sobriety and, 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 you know, recovery, recovery and all that. And, and this kind of obsession with sexuality at age 14 and 15. I'm not, it feels really unhelpful. I think, you know, one treatment approach that um, Cameron Staley uh, talks about this is, is when you get very obsessed with it, you actually interfere with people's ability to make clear headed decisions. And so, um, ACT is ACT, I'm trying to remember, it's like acceptance and commitment therapy is an approach that has shown some really good results, which is that same thing of stepping back, being more curious and more self-aware, like what's going on for me? Yeah. What am I feeling? And I'm acting in this way to cope with it. Do I think it's the best way? So it's much more kind of like, is this really leading me towards what I want? Mm -hmm. Or is this just sort of an immediate way of getting some comfort, but it's actually not helping me get towards what I want. Right. And that could be, yes, exactly. So that could be like pornography or something. It could be video games. It could be a lot of things that we do. A lot of us parents could benefit from asking ourselves that question. When I'm feeling anxious and I pick up my phone, is that the best use of my time? Totally. <laughs> no. <laughs> and so, so, but a lot of times we do these things really kind of impulsively and instinctively, and we're, we're creating a life through those series of decisions, but they're not necessarily leading us in the direction we in fact want to go. Wow. And so when you can diffuse it a bit with your kids, it's like, there's nothing wrong with you but this might be a choice that's not going to lead you to where you want to go. Oh, that's brilliant. Okay. So, um, you know, just as we, as we kind of wrap up, because this, there's been loads of content, loads of content here, but just to recap, if, if you will, it sounds like that parents first and foremost needs, need to understand what their relationship is mm -hmm. with sexuality, with mm -hmm. porn, with masturbation, with, with sensuality mm -hmm. and understand what, what, what their beliefs are, what their preconceived notions are, but more importantly, how those preconceived notions and how those ideas show up both non-verbally and verbally with their kids. Because like you said, yes. kids will, as you used, will map their parents, meaning yep. they'll make, they'll come to their own conclusion of what mom and dad are actually, um, That's right. what they what, really what mean, they mean <laughs> yeah. versus yes. what they're saying. That's right? right. And, and once parents can, can, um, once parents can understand that all of this curiosity is normal because we're wired to be that, the best thing they can do, if I'm understanding it correctly, Jennifer, is to be certain that parents, once they check themselves, then they, then they get educated themselves if they aren't already, 
in the place of being yeah. educated. I'm just going to put it yes. out there. I feel like <laughs> you could correct me if you're wrong. Sure. In my experience, helping people on both areas of, of being betrayed and not being betrayed, I feel like everyone can learn from yes, right. getting educated. Like I still continue yes. to learn about sexuality Yes, and I've read a ton of books and done a ton of programs. Like there's still stuff to learn. That's right. Yes, exactly. That's right. And and, and once we, once we embrace the education of, of, of this world of sexuality and and like we educate ourselves, then we can, then we can view our kids as not, not these beings that need to quote unquote, don't. Yes. Or quote unquote repress, but, but to share with them the knowledge that we have to educate them so that they have proper, um, like they have propriety surrounding those things they have understanding of of what can be a coping tool and 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 a and a a healthy one and what can be a destructive one but also like what you said i think it's really important the message of standing at the grocery store and seeing people half dressed right right i mean it's like how what is a child to think when they see a a magazine where a woman standing in a sports bra and tiny shorts and they see all these curves and all these, you know, all the skin, I think to, to be able to say, Hey, listen, can you observe that this magazine is playing off of our biological desires and response in effort to sell Mm -hmm. shoes or this way of eating or whatever the case is. Um, To objectify help them become more critical consumers of the messaging that's out there. Yes. And that's actually would be a really interesting, hey, okay, we see this message. It seems pretty sexually charged. What are they actually trying to say through right. our sexuality? That would be actually that's really right. interesting. Sometimes it's hard to figure out what they're right? <laughs> what are you yeah. selling. <laughs> yeah, that's so true. Yeah. I noticed the woman. What is the product? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, helping helping our kids be more critical consumers, but seeing that the parent is able to to make that distance. The parent's not in a reaction. The parent can kind of handle her life or his life while there are sexual, uh, there's sexual energy and sexual images around us. That's not, you know, it's like, how do we kind of be true to what's best in ourselves, even though sexuality is existent within us and outside of us. When you can do that well as a parent, you are definitely role modeling for your kids the ability to do that. Wow. Okay, I want to say one last thing before we wrap Mm -hmm. up. Um, I have a friend of mine who she she shares a similar story to us, and she was very um, reluctant to move into learning about healthy sexuality for herself. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, sure. What she started with was your course on how oh. to talk to your kids about, oh, yeah. because that was like, sure. I can do this. And yes. it was like baby step into, and now I want to work on me. And yeah. so I'm just going to put it out there. If you guys have listened to this episode, um, maybe you're not ready to step into your own sexuality. Maybe it's scary. Um, I was there. Uh, I'm on year three of like really devoting my time and education to learning more about myself and really embracing that. And it just continues. And so step into it in whatever yeah. way feels okay for a baby step. And it might be just this. Yeah, that's a, that's very good advice, actually, because I think some people are really daunted by the topic because it's been very loaded in their marriages or in their upbringing, but they want to do right by their children. Mm-hmm. And that's a healthy desire and it is a good place to start and starting to think through the meanings. And then, yeah, that's good. Yeah. Part of this, part of this platform is being able to direct people to um, what we believe are really healthy, really um, important resources. Jennifer, you, your courses for us, for Ashlyn and I, and for our girls, have been so fruitful where literally the conversation sometimes will be okay lucy okay ellie not together but okay lucy tell me what your experience has been with masturbation yeah as of late and to be able to have to be able to have that conversation i never thought we would have but that would have never taken place yeah prior to consuming your content so um I, i just appreciate you being the expert who's willing to share in a way that the end consumer can can dispel any myths of -hmm. shame and really be educated and then and then being able to understand it in a way that they can share with the kids that's how it went down for us 
And it's, it's been super, super invaluable because I guarantee my kids know that story about me sitting in the gas station (laughs) at Butte. Right. And, um, and they laugh about that because they're like, Oh, that's so funny. Like how did that even happen? Right. Yeah. Yeah. So we, we owe um, a lot of the, the place where we are right now. Yeah, you into your work, so we're grateful for it. Of my I'm so glad journey into this. So thank you so much for That's that. That's awesome. It's a big I'm deal. So glad. Uh, tell, tell our audience where they can find you, and we'll put so, it. Also uh, in the yeah. So yeah. So my name is my website. So it's finlayson-fife.com. That's my website, and on there you can find a link to my podcast, the social media, because we have Instagram and Facebook, and a Facebook group also where people can ask questions and. Um, um, you know, and I do a Facebook live through that group too, uh, once a month. And then there's the courses. You can learn all about the courses on online there too. And so basically everything I've done, you'll be able to find on the website. And it's also a new website is being launched in about three more days. So, oh, which is by the time have, this is out. On yeah, the that's right. It'll, it'll, it'll should be the new one. Out. I hope. I mean, every time we're like about to do it, we're like, oh no, we gotta. <laughs> but yeah, we're getting there. So yeah. Great. Yeah. Okay. Well, thank you so much for being here. We really value your time and your expertise. My pleasure. Yep. My pleasure. Awesome. You guys are awesome. Guys, if you have heard something that you like, as always, please share this because you never know who is going, who needs it. You never know who's actually going to need it. And uh, you never know the good that this episode will do for, for kids and for parents everywhere. So thank you. Appreciate you being here with us, guys. We'll take care. Uh, you take care. We'll see you soon. Okay.